You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. All right. At this time, we want to dismiss our children to Children's Church. We offer children's programming through second grade. And so if you'd like your children to participate in that, they are free to, to exit with the adult workers. And uh, while they're exiting, I want to say just a couple words. I don't know how many of you know, Matt uh, emailed this morning and said he was so sick he couldn't stand up. And so Roosevelt uh, recognized Trey, but Trey got a call on his way into church and said, hey, could you, could you help us out today? And so, uh, Trey, that was, that was wonderful. Thank you so much for, for being a part of that. I want to thank Roosevelt for his words and also let you guys know prayer isn't just something that we want to say we value. It is something we want to actually value. And the only way we demonstrate that by actually participating in it. And so we have an elders-led prayer meeting for the church, the community, the world, the mission that God's called us to the first Sunday night of each month. So if you're watching the calendar, you know that that's next Sunday night. So I'd like you to encourage you to circle that date. Uh, plan on coming out at uh, 6 o'clock, praying with us for an hour and a half, and uh, it's, it's really a great, intimate time of connecting with each other and connecting with God. And then if there's issues that are going on in your personal life that you would like prayer for, we have elders at the uh, front of the uh, stage uh, every time after our services, and we welcome you to come and participate in that, because we do want prayer to be something that uh, isn't just talked about, but is actually, actually practiced. So if you were like me, you wouldn't dispute that there are an awful lot of voices speaking into our lives about what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. There are all different kinds of concepts, um, disciplines, expressions uh, that have been held up as the key to true spirituality. Now, some of you may be like me. I grew up in a, a deeply devoted Christian home that I was blessed to be in. But what I realized as my faith began to, to mature that a lot of what I was instructed in my home and through my family was based more on tradition than truth. And that creates a level of uh, confusion. And uh, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is trying to address with the Colossians. See, my story goes like this. I had grandparents and parents who loved the Lord but they weren't really on the same page. And so once a year, we would travel to Iowa on vacation, and we would visit my grandparents who had a list of rules that were uh, significantly, I mean, phone book size. Uh, those of you who remember the days when there were phone books. <laughs> and it was hard, because we would go in, and they believed, you know, there's no mixed bathing, which means, you know, boys and girls couldn't swim together, and swimming pools were really places where sin was conceived because there was no such thing as a modest bathing suit. It just didn't exist. Um, we couldn't eat in a restaurant that served alcohol. In fact, my grandparents were so concerned about the possibility of being seen coming out of an establishment that served alcohol that they wouldn't even walk on the sidewalk in front of such a place. They'd cross the street and walk on the other side. All of that created confusion inside of me. Now, my mom and dad were not quite that strict, but they had their own rules about what was best for our family. And so we didn't have television until I was you know, in my late years in high school. And then we were only allowed to watch news and sports, 
we couldn't listen to any secular radio. And the Christian radio we listened to, if the beat was too strong, that was disqualified as well. Because they were under the mindset that a certain beat, which I never fully understood, called up demons. And so we had to be very careful about what we allowed our ears to hear. Um, Well-intended, but confusing. Went to a Bible college to find the truth. Well, there, Pat left, but I would love to have him hear this. (laughs) Facial hair was seen as worldly. (laughs) Automatically disqualified you from ministry. The hair on a guy had to be off the ear and off the collar. Dress pants had to be worn to class with a tie. Girls had to wear dresses. And the Christianity really became, to me, more about rules of do's and don'ts, more about what we didn't do and couldn't do than what God had really called us to. And I don't think I'm alone. And so the challenge is, as we try to shed all this well-intended wisdom that has been directed our way by oftentimes good people who love the Lord. And oftentimes they are guided by their own conscience and it's absolutely correct for them to live by the boundaries that they have set up. And the challenge becomes though that when you try to superimpose your personal values on an entire group or church, this then becomes a foul and it no longer serves God. And that's precisely what the Apostle Paul was trying to address in the Colossian church. He's addressing a group of Christians who are growing and there were things to celebrate in it. And yet he is getting word that there are uh, heresies that are being communicated in the church that he knows will stunt, stall, and stagnate their spiritual development. And so Paul writes Colossians to help focus them on who Jesus is, what he's done, and therefore how we live the spiritual life in him. What does true spirituality look like? That's really the question that I think Paul is addressing in this. So if you'd open your Bibles with me this morning, we're continuing our study in the book of Colossians. This morning we'll be looking at verses 16 through 23 of chapter 2. And so read with me if you would. It says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to the festivals or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on aestheticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and knit ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, this morning, give us the ability to focus 
fully on you and to hear what your spirit has for us. Free us from the tentacles of false teaching and thinking that probably have attached to all of us in some way at some time over the course of our spiritual journey. Lord, we want to fully understand what it means to be in you and to be spiritual. And so, God, we commit ourselves to your Holy Spirit's leadership and instruction as you bring your word to life for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we jump into the text, I kind of want to give you an overview of the book because we're kind of at the very heart of what Paul is trying to communicate. And so if you haven't outlined the book or you don't have an outline, there's a simple outline. There's four chapters in the book. The first chapter really deals with Christ's preeminence declared. It's a doctrinal focus on who Jesus is. And Paul is laying a foundation, and this is the message that he's trying to communicate. He says, if you have Christ and Christ is God, you have all you need because there's nothing greater than God. And so he declares that in chapter one. There is a declaration. In chapter two, it's the preeminence of Christ defended. He goes on and he addresses the heresies that are being taught. And he shows how Christ is greater than each of the false teachings and the beliefs that we'll look at this morning. Legalism, mysticism, aestheticism that are trying to um, come alongside the gospel. And these messengers are saying, yeah, you need Jesus, but you also need these things. And Paul is saying, no, that's not true. And the focal point of the book is Colossians 2.10. that says, you are complete in Christ. You're lacking nothing. You have everything. You've been made perfect, blameless, holy, and hold to that truth above everything else because anything else is going to serve to derail you versus develop your spiritual life and growth. Billy spoke last week about our identity that flows out of our understanding of who we are in Christ. And Paul, in very graphic terms, paints a picture that a Jewish individual would fully understand because he talks about the circumcision of the heart. And that's central because what he's doing is he's saying, hey, as a Jewish person, you were physically circumcised and that marked you as a member of the, new, of the, of the covenant of Abraham, but he says, God has circumcised your heart and it's no longer, it's an external, but it's an internal reality. It's the character of Christ in you because Jesus cut everything out of your heart, your spiritual person that doesn't reflect God, that isn't of God, and you are fully complete in him. And so the work, the deep surgery that each of us need to have happen in us to be able to reflect God has already occurred for us been done by Christ, and our spiritual maturation is our learning to externally express what is internally true of who we are. Our hearts have been circumcised. We do reflect Christ in the very essence of who we are. There are spiritual longings within us that if we learn to tune in to the voice of the Spirit of God and trust that Christ will lead us into fullness of, of, of who we are, and don't get distracted by anything else, we can hold to a promise that that is where God will take us. And so then, the last two chapters are really Christ's preeminence demonstrated. It's a display of true spirituality. This is what these truths look like lived out. And he addresses basically Christian holiness, the Christian household, and the basic Christian journey to maturity. 
And so if you've had questions about what true spirituality looks like, this is what Paul's addressing. And this morning, he is coming back and he is addressing head on the heresies, the lies, the fallacies that were being taught in the Colossian church. And what we're going to discover today are still very much alive in the world today. There are still those um, that have just repackaged old heresies, and there's nothing new under the sun. And so this morning, I pray that God will help us untangle from the things that are not of God to help us take hold of what is of God and to be able to move forward in our relationship with him and the purpose and ministry that he has left us in the world. And the message is really this, the fullness and freedom that are ours in Christ ought to motivate us to keep him first and foremost in our lives. We have no reason to become enslaved by legalistic living, mystical experiences, or rigid aestheticism, because all those will serve to do is to move us away from God versus towards him. So this morning, we want to look at three fallacies, legalism, mysticism, and aestheticism. In verses 16 and 17, Paul addresses the, the, the heresy of legalism. Verse 16 says this, it says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to the festival of the new moon of the Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, there's a real simple pattern that Paul is following as he addresses each of these heresies. In verse 16 and 17, he addresses legalism. 18 and 19, he addresses mysticism. And then he follows a simple pattern. He exposes the lie, and then he uh, lets the truth expose. Then the truth is, is, is explained. So the lie exposed, truth explained. And there's a pattern. He does that with each of the, of the heresies. So legalism, he says this. Legalism exposed. Legalism is this. We often use the word today, legalism, in the way that I'm using aestheticism rules and regulations that we attach to our faith. Don't drink, don't smoke, you know, stay away from all those things. Right. Typically legalism. When Paul's using legalism, he's using it in a more formal sense, in the sense of a call to return to the Old Testament laws. And he is addressing diet and days, basically. And what he starts off with is this, is there a, there's division being brought to the body by Judaizers who are saying, yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to embrace the Old Testament law, the dietary and the days of worship and celebration that were called to in the Old Testament. <clears throat> he says this, let no one pass judgment on you. Now, here's, here's the danger of buying into the lie is it divides, and it makes you think that you're not spiritual when you actually are. It superimposes rules and regulations on you that those around you will say, well, you, you're not really a follower of Jesus if you're not doing these things as well. Now, I think all of us have experienced this, maybe not in the church, but in other aspects of the culture. First time I really ran into this head-on was when Tammy and I moved cross-country to Portland, Oregon to go to graduate school. Now... <clears throat> They love the outdoors in the Pacific Northwest. They love the earth. And I'm telling you what, we moved out there with three young kids. Young kids, lots of diapers. And uh, there was a huge cultural pressure to use uh, cloth diapers. Lots of diapers with three kids. 
um, really difficult to embrace. But honestly, if you went to Target or Walmart and you got in line and you had your pampers, you got the evil eye. You know, it's as if they had spotted an environmental terrorist. You were not, you were not a good person. And this was not just, a, you know, this was true in the whole culture. You couldn't escape it everywhere you went. It was like, oh, you, you, don't, you don't use cloth diapers? And it's like, you know, they felt the freedom to correct you when you stood on the, you know, pamper aisle. <laughs> and literally, you know, you wanted to start to find a way to buy diapers in secret. <laughs> because everybody saw you as this horrible person if you used other than cloth diapers. Now, you name whatever it is, but you've been in environments like that, haven't you? Like, wow, you know, I don't have that conviction. But if you don't hold the same conviction as them, you are all of a sudden not a worthy person of respect, of love, of honor, of anything. And uh, that's what's happening in the church, is there is this pressure that's coming and it's being put on people because they weren't embracing the same mindset as, as, as the Judaizers. And so now imagine if you were a young Roman and you heard this great news of the gospel and you go to church and you're all excited about what's happening and then that whole crazy thing about circumcision comes up. That would cause you to hesitate, wouldn't it? Or, you know, you love shellfish. And all of a sudden, the whole idea was confused and it was fogged because what the gospel was all about was now being overshadowed by other rules and regulations. And it was stunting the growth and dividing the body. Now, my belief is these Judaizers were probably well-intended people. They, they really believed. You know, they had chapter and verse. They could go back to the law and they could say, this is what Jesus called us to. And guess what? There's so much joy in aligning yourself with God's days of celebration and, and the dietary laws, their security and their safety in that. And they're very persuasive because they deeply believe these things. But the problem was is that Jesus has put us under a new covenant and we were freed from the old covenant and none of this any longer added to your spiritual development. It didn't even mark you as an obedient Christian because it was contrary to what the gospel was to contain. So, <clears throat> Paul addresses these things. Now, it's important for you to understand as Paul is writing this, uh, the Jerusalem Council, where all of this had been addressed by the apostles in the church, had happened 12 years earlier. So that had spread like wildfire through the Jewish traditions. These people knew that what they were saying wasn't in line with the faith. And so Paul lovingly reminds them that this has nothing to do with following Christ. Jesus spoke these words, and this is important as we get this in context as we move through these lies. In Mark 7, verses 14 through 23, Jesus says this. He says, and he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. 
And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. They, they wanted to understand. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. Jesus and the apostles, Peter's vision had said, look, what you eat doesn't defile you. That day is gone. And then he goes on and he addresses the days of celebration. He addresses the festivals, which was really Passover, Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feasts of Lights, New Moons, which is when uh, sacrifices were offered to God, and the Sabbath day. So the Jews worshiped on the last day of the week. Christians had begun a tradition of worshiping on the first day of the week, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And the Judaizers were pushing back against all of this because they had their preferences, which had been developed for generations. And it was probably hard for them. But Paul is saying, look, this causes division and it doesn't help grow people up in their faith. It actually undermines that because your focus has moved from what is substantive to the shadow. So the truth is explained in verse 17. He says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So the Old Testament law was a shadow, was a picture of the coming Messiah. Jesus is the substance. So if I were a master of puppet shadowing, I would have worked that out this morning, but I'm not. So you just have to imagine. A shadow simply provides you a silhouette of the actual object. And what Paul is saying is Jesus is the object. Jesus is the focal point of all history. And to look back and to take your eyes off of him is to, in essence, be focusing on the shadow versus the substance, versus the person. Now, let me illustrate the absurdity of that by sharing with you a story. Imagine, well, we'll use Roosevelt as an example because he was in the military. <laughs> Imagine that Roosevelt was deployed. As he mentioned, he was away from his family. And so his loving wife, wanting her children to learn of their father, would pull out pictures and would say, this is your daddy. And they'd talk on the phone and they'd hear his voice and they'd look at his picture and they just fell in love with their dad. So when Roosevelt comes home, now the substance is present, if the children continue to be obsessed with the picture rather than the person, they're missing it. They should no longer be pointing at the picture and saying, Daddy, yeah. because their father's home. He's there. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He says, when you get fixed with the law, it's as if you've fallen in love with a picture of what has actually materialized, incarnated. The Messiah has come. Stop looking backwards and look forwards. See Jesus for who he is. And don't think that anything that represented the shadow is going to help you in understanding the fullness of the substance who is Christ. So having dealt with the legalists, he moves on. And he challenges the mystics. In verses 18 and 19, he says this, let no one disqualify you, insisting on aestheticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a senseless, senseless mind and not holding fast to the head, 
from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So mysticism is the belief that true spirituality is achieved apart from the human intellect and natural senses. Its special revelation comes through existential experiences that give you deeper insights and truths beyond the fundamentals of the faith. So the mystics were saying this, that if you really loved God and you're growing in your relationship with him, God is going to provide for you experiences that is going to raise your level of spirituality. And they were developing dogmas around insights that were coming to them through visions and experiences that were uh, outside of the scripture. And the apostle Paul is saying, look, as cool as that sounds, that's a problem. That's going to disqualify you. It's going to derail your spiritual development. It's going to not move you closer to God, but it's going to move you further away from God because they're doing the same thing that the Judaizers, where the Judaizers were pointing to the law as a shadow. These people are pointing to some experience that are saying, you need Jesus, and if you really love Jesus, Jesus is going to give you special insight, special revelation, special understanding of what it really means to love God. Now, in the midst of this, there's this underlying current that hadn't fully developed as a heresy till, till a few years later called Gnosticism, where the physical and the spiritual worlds were being separated, and eventually they were going to say Jesus couldn't be God because he was a man and he had a physical body. And so they're, ex they're, they're, they're holding up the spiritual, the existential, the out-of-body kind of experiences. And they're saying it's through those things that you're going to find a richer, a deeper, a fuller relationship with God. And the apostle Paul says, you know, don't believe it. He says all of this is based on um, <clears throat> a false humility and, a, and, a, and, and human reasoning. And it kind of goes like this. The whole idea is this. Jesus has said, you're complete in me. The hope of glory is Christ in you. The hope of glory. You have everything that you need. Don't look outside of what God has already put inside you for deeper understanding. But here's the thinking. Here's where the false humility comes. It's like, oh, I'm a flawed human being. Yeah, I know that I'm hearing that I've made perfect, but as I look at my life, I know I'm struggling, so uh, I must be missing something. You know, I'm not worthy of approaching God myself. So it probably made a whole lot of sense to think that I could kind of ride the coattails of greater spiritual beings or spiritual people than myself. Well, it sounds really humble. You know, I'm not worthy. Well, that's a false humility because Jesus is saying, no, you are worthy. You are a child. You are perfect. You don't need that because I've provided for you all you need. That they began to look outside of themselves. Now, there are today religious traditions that would tell you that you can't go directly to God yourself, that you need a mediator between God and man, and that is a direct heresy to the Scriptures. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. So we don't need to pray two saints, 
through priests. We talked to Jesus directly because when Jesus died, the veil was torn. Access to the Holy of Holies was given to all who believe in the work that Jesus did on their behalf. We are able to stand in the presence of God, fully accepted, without blame, because of what Jesus has done. There are many who are saying, ah, no, that's not true. And Paul's saying, don't believe it. There are others who will tell you that if you don't have this gift or that gift, you're still lacking all of the, that the Spirit has to give you. <clears throat> that's not true. At the time of your salvation, the Spirit of God adopted you, filled you, and there isn't any more of the Spirit for you to get. The question is, is does God have all of you? Because you have all of him. And there are those, and I love, I absolutely love my full gospel brothers and sisters. But I can't tell you how many times that I've traveled around the country doing consulting and other things that I've been prayed over that a certain manifestation of my faith would come upon me. And there are those that when that doesn't happen, step back from me and treat me as a secondary, second-class minister because you haven't had this experience or that experience. Now, the truth is that's unbiblical. And these are well-intended people who are saying they have an insight or an understanding that I don't see fully aligning with Scripture that says you need this experience to validate you as a child of God, as a minister of the gospel. And that just isn't true. There are those that would evaluate the success of a worship service on how many of us you know, end up on the floor. You know, I traveled with Logos, and I have experienced basically every kind of worship encounter that you can imagine. And um, I get access to the green room, and so I get to sit with the, with the preachers and the teachers and the worship leaders. And I'll tell you, there's times my heart just broke. Because as they evaluate what's taking place, it's more based on how emotionally stimulated everyone is than how grounded they are in the truth. And the success had more to do with the, uh, well, well, probably the nicest way I would say it, just the energy in the room. And my friends, we are never to seek an experience. And we're never to judge another's relationship with God based on whether or not they are or aren't worshiping God as we think they should. And But there are many who will continue to teach and preach that apart from certain experiences, uh, you don't have everything that you need. And that's not to even go beyond that who where people have gotten revelation from angels, brought it back and saying, oh, here's how you interpret the Bible now. So we have prevalent uh, ministries, the Latter-day Saints, who, who they finally got the key from an angel, golden tablets. And Paul's not directly relating that, but he is. He's saying, look, if anybody says you need something other than the cross, Amen. something other than Jesus and what he promised, he says, don't listen to it. Don't get drawn in to that kind of belief system because it's not going to grow you up. It's going to 
diminish your spiritual reality. So the truth explained, verse 19, says this, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Extra biblical information does not, that does not align with the truth or that says you need God plus anything is an absolute lie. And the Apostle Paul says it's not helping you draw closer to God, it's in reality disconnecting you from the head, from the body, from where God has wanted you to be plugged in. John 15, three talks about how important it is to abide. It says, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in him. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The most important aspect in your spiritual life is you stay connected to Christ, to God. And when anyone is pointing you to something that is going to trump, not a good choice of words, <laughs> that truth, Paul's basically saying, run. Don't follow any leader that's going to tell you, need, that, you that you need anything other than the cross. Because they're not connecting you further to God. They're drawing you away regardless of what they say. And we could, we could go through all kinds of history of cults and people who said they had special revelation and that we're the special group called by God and, and we're needed and, 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 and done nothing but isolate people from the body of Christ, the truth. And Jesus repeatedly, he's coming back and he's saying, look, you grow as you find your place in the body. And you use the gifts and the talents and the abilities that I've given you in the life experiences in community with others. You then are connected and expressing who I am. And we, and we grow in the faith by being connected to Christ and the family of God. And anyone that would isolate you or take you apart from that is misleading you. So Paul addresses that heresy, and then he goes on and he addresses uh, the fallacy of aestheticism. Verses 20 through 23, it says this, if with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and civility to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The lie is revealed in verses 20 and 22. And the lie is basically this. Aestheticism is seeking to gain righteousness through self-denial. It is a religious philosophy which teaches that depriving the body of its normal desires is a means of achieving greater holiness and approval from God. Now, the problem is the Colossians Christians were buying into this. They were really believing, you know, like the, the gentleman I shared, I think, the last time I was teaching. They heard the gospel and he said, is that all? People have a hard time believing Jesus did it all, that there's nothing more required of you. 
And so to really feel repentant, sometimes they ask you to hurt yourself. Paul quoted the particular rules of this dogma. There was those promoting, you know, do not touch this, do not handle that, do not taste this. And Paul says all these do is they pull you away from the basic principles of the human commands and they, they, they humanize the spiritual message of Christ. You see, the gospel is so absolutely amazing that from a natural perspective, you would say, I gotta do something. You know, I need to suffer a little bit for my sins. And I think this is kind of what's going on. This is saying, look, if you really are sorry for your sins, there's probably some penance. There's probably some denial. There's probably some sacrifice required on your part. And God's really looking for that in you, to bless you, to trust you with real spirituality. So your real love for God is manifested by your willingness to sacrifice yourself. And there's a whole lot of heresy related to this. Where, where it appears to have wisdom, when you understand that, that the flesh is never sanctified. It's never made holy. And so if you take that logic and you say, well, if the flesh is unholy, it can't be good. Right. So anything I do to care for the flesh must be unspiritual. So do you know that in the early centuries of the church, it was viewed as spiritual to actually have maggots dropping from your body? because bathing was seen as worldly. You were focused on the natural world. You know, it's one of the most misrecognized quotes. Godliness is next to what? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Most people think that's in the Bible. It's not. (laughs) But thank God we live in a culture and an age where it's holding up that view versus the other. You know, this would not be a good experience in here if we really believed that bathing was unspiritual. Wow, this is a good time of of human history to live. All kinds of craziness was going on, and it goes on today. People will tell you, boy, if you don't have devotions every single day, you don't really love God. If you're not in Bible study hours a week, If you ever miss worship, you don't really love God. If you're not giving exorbitant amounts of your income. And all of these become benchmarks, tests of a person's spirituality that aren't of God. And what Paul is saying, he's saying, look, when you, come to, when you came to faith, there's certain principles and precepts were taught you to serve you well as a, as a young Christian. Because all of this is true. You know, you need to develop spiritual formations. But those formations can't enslave you or you've missed the whole purpose of them. And that is oftentimes what ends up happening, that we start checking boxes as to whether or not we're spiritual or not. And that is actually misleading and misguiding us into this. And what Paul is really saying is he's saying this. You know, we, have, we had four children. When our children were young, we instructed them not to cross the street without us. Because that's prudent until they reach a certain age. But if as adults, they're still calling us to say, hey, can I I cross the street? (laughs) There's something wrong with that. 
And Paul's pointing out, he's saying, hey, look, there were some very elementary principles that have enslaved you. And you need to move beyond them. You need to grow up. You've got the Spirit of God. You don't have to be fully dependent on your teachers because you have the teacher in Christ and you have the Word and trust that God is working in your life and free yourselves from some of the rigid boundaries that sometimes need to be put in place when you first come to faith but shouldn't be present in your life after you've walked with God for several years. So I still struggle uh, if we're on vacation not going to church because of all the other. Now, it's not a bad thing to go to church. It is a bad thing to think that I might fall out of favor with God if I'm not there. You see the trap that gets set by all of these teachings. And so that's lighter rules and regulations. See, self-denial and self-imposed Spirituality is oftentimes measured by how much somebody is willing to sacrifice. And over the course of generations, I shared a little bit with you for a while, it was seen as unspiritual to bathe. There are all kinds of other things. If fasting is good, well, fasting most of the time then is better. If you shouldn't enjoy intimacy with your spouse during fasting, well, then maybe you are more spiritual if you don't at all. There's all kinds of crazy thinking that finds its way into the spiritual realm that has no basis to the scripture. And Paul is saying these aesthetics, these are people who are going to bring you extra biblical rules and regulations to tell you if you really love God, then this needs to be true of you. The extremes of this today. I have a friend that I meet with every, every Saturday morning who has a sister who's a missionary in the Philippines. And in the Philippines, uh, one of the ways they observe Holy Week is a group who um, follow a particular vein of, uh, of penance. But they crucify themselves every Easter. They literally hang themselves on a cross in order to share in the fellowship of suffering with Christ. And that's seen as spiritual. They crawl on their knees for miles on rough, rocky soil to express a love for God. They allow themselves to be beat with whips to follow the example of Christ. And that's, that's today. Now, let me tell you, if we ever use this cross for anything like that, run. <laughs> Because that stuff's insane, totally insane. If we ever encourage you to physically hurt yourself to draw closer to God, call us out. Because there is nowhere in Scripture that anything like that is said, but there are all kinds of variations of that that the world is going to hold up and that religion is going to try to impose and enslave you with. So here's the reality. Every one of our spiritual journey, based on who we are and the experiences and vices and struggles that we have, is going to look a little bit different than others. There will be some commonalities, but we should not and cannot, if we are going to be truly spiritual, try to develop a cookie-cutter approach to the maturation journey and to discipleship. And when that's done, we're actually not honoring the diversity and the uniqueness of each one of us, and we're trying to develop a... 
um, Stetson wife. You know, it's like, oh, you're a Christian. You're, you're not. It's like, none of that is true. Now, here's the tragedy. For the vast majority of life, I can't tell you how many years I was in ministry before I felt like I really loved God. Now, you want to know why? Because I had a dad who was a wonderful role model for me. Very, very disciplined. You would find him every single morning, seven days a week at five o'clock in his study, studying the word of God and praying for an hour every single day. I don't remember a night that he didn't tuck me into bed and pray for me. Growing up, the last thing I remember in my home before I went to sleep was after my dad had gone around with five children and prayed with every single one of us, he'd pray with my mom. And we would all hear it. We had family devotions almost every evening. Yeah, wonderful example. But guess what? If you don't live up to that, you don't feel like, wow, I don't really love God the way my dad did. What's wrong with me? And it took the longest time for me to realize that's just not my personality. You know, I wasn't a morning person. I've become more of a morning person. But man, alive, I'd get up and I'd try to do the spiritual thing and fall asleep. And it's like inside, there's just this self-condemnation. It's like, what's wrong with me? Don't I love Jesus? And I share with that to tell you this. Getting up in the morning and praying for an hour doesn't make you spiritual. If that's the best time for you to meet with Jesus, then it's your spiritual hour. But if it's not, don't hear or believe or feel like anyone is trying to take a... a, a a square peg and force you into a round hole. Don't let anyone, this is Paul's message, if this isn't happening in your life, don't believe the lie that you're not of God and not spiritual and not capable of reflecting God in a very special, unique way because he has made you unique. And there is no one in the world that will reflect his glory exactly like you. And we do you a disservice when we don't celebrate that and help you customize the boundaries that are required for you to be the person God's called you to. Now, yes, boundaries are important. For some, now, you know, I finally allowed myself to go to movies without feeling guilty. Because I grew up in a home that says, man, if you support Hollywood, that's just awful. You know, we can't do that. And uh, you know what? There's wisdom in what movies you shouldn't and shouldn't see. Absolutely. Absolutely. But when we start being the Holy Spirit in each other's lives, we undermine the health of the body. And we're not serving God. We're serving a selfish agenda when we are trying to superimpose our convictions on the whole. And that's exactly what was happening in the Colossian church. There were systems that were trying to work themselves in to get everybody to believe and act and be the same way. And Paul is saying, these are the lies that are being promoted here don't buy them, don't accept them, don't believe them. And guess what? They're very much alive and real today as well. And we need to embrace the message of the Apostle Paul and say, it is Jesus and Jesus alone and you are complete in him. And if your faith walk doesn't look exactly like mine, that's okay. Because I trust that God's at work in your life. And I'm gonna celebrate our diversity and not seek uniformity in everything that we do, because it is in that diversity that Jesus is seen more gloriously than in any kind of uniformity. That's good. May we be one in him, but may he 
remain our primary focus and the goal of every time we gather that his name be lifted up. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church.